Welcome to the St. Frayne Valley Schools ELA cast. I'm Zach Chase, and for this episode, I sat down with special education teacher Amanda White to talk about how she scaffolds texts and keeps her expectation that all students are moving toward academic growth. Sit back and enjoy. Hi. Hi. Who are you and what do you do? Uh, my name is Amanda White. I am a special ed teacher um, at Mead Middle School. Awesome. So from time to time, we will have conversations with folks who will say things like, well, you, will, you, should, expect, uh, you should expect growth from students who are identified as special education, uh, but you shouldn't necessarily expect achievement, uh, that they should meet kind of grade level achievement. What's your response to that? That response is kind of garbage, okay. is what I feel like. Uh-huh. Sorry. Why? Why? No, that's fine. Um, you never know what a student's capable of until you put it in front of them. Okay. So um, that sounds like a wonderful, like, cliche or truism. It is. However, if you, honestly, and I'm probably going to make people mad with this, but if you do your job right and you know how to break things down, you can get kids that read at a first grade level to understand and participate in activities that are, that are written at an eighth grade level. Have you had this experience? Yes. I guess would be my next question. Yes. Okay. How do you, how, how do you approach that problem? Because it's, I mean, as much kind of do your job, it's, it's an incredibly complex job, right? So it is. So how do you approach that problem? What are some pieces that you do to like think of a complex text and make it accessible to to students who are identified with these needs? Well, so I think about quality over quantity, first of all. Okay. I mean, you look at the unit plan that's for eighth grade. In a quarter, there's so many texts that are expected for our kids to go through. Mm -hmm. And in gen ed, sometimes kids are going through one text every week. Mm -hmm. Um, For kids who are lower, you need more time. And so pick a text that you can really dive into. Um, and then figure out a way to spread that out to where you can hit multiple standards um, and you can build on multiple skills with just that one text. And so then it allows kids to not only build their skills, not only work on those standards, but then you're allowing them to feel that success of diving in and being successful with a with a grade level text or a text that's even a little bit above what their grade level is. So you said, you know, I may have a text that a general general education classroom would would read in a week Mm -hmm. and I'm going to take it in maybe three or four weeks. Mm -hmm. Does that mean doing the same thing just way slower? Uh, Definitely not. Okay. Because that feels painful if I'm a student. It does. It does. You have to make it fun and you have to turn it into a unit and you have to figure out different activities that are related to those skills that you need that are based around that common theme in order to keep the kids' attention. And if you do it right, it's totally possible. So we're about a month into the school year right now. Yeah. Are you doing this currently with anything? Um, This week, we actually just started um, our first... It's considered our first grade level unit because we've been replacing those skills from that we regressed over the summer. Um, And so we are doing a four-week unit around four weeks that's specifically over the telltale heart. Okay, which is a eighth grade text. It's probably the content level and vocabulary level is a little bit above eighth grade, but okay. it is in the eighth grade unit plans. And we're talking about working with a, a, a pull-out group of kids who are yes. not at eighth grade level. They are not at eighth grade level. They would be probably my 15 lowest eighth graders in the building. So how are you approaching starting the, introducing that text? Um, so I introduced it with a text that is like the Telltale Heart that has the same plot. So I found a reader's theater that's called Penelope Ann Poe's Amazing Cell Phone. Um, and so every kid in my class had a different speaking part and they 
practice their reading fluency with all of their different parts without putting the text together. And then we came and we put on like a little production in my room. Um, and then we kind of plotted out what is the plot event and the sequence of how this text works. So kind of getting the scaffolding, pre-teaching some of those, how do I approach a text that's more complex right. while doing something that I'm also actively engaging in? Because I think practicing mm -hmm. that fluency, right? Mm -hmm. So what I'm also hearing is we're hitting some of what are likely some IEP goals for some students. Oh, definitely. While also working toward what their peer group would be expected to yes. do. All right, so we've got this reader's theater, we move on. And how long is that going to take? Going uh, so the reader's theater takes us probably about two days to get through. Okay. Um, just the first day where they're I'm introducing it and they're practicing their lines and they're having fun with it and mm -hmm. they don't know how it kind of fits together um, and then towards the end of that class period we read and we put it all together um, I try to videotape it if I remember just like on a recorder so that we can listen to it later this year I forgot because my iPad's sitting on my table at home I'm that unprepared student. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like you're really messing up this year. All right, so we've got uh, so we've got the readers theater. Right, and, and then... so then the next day, what we did with that is we broke up into groups and we kind of looked at the readers theater and the structure of the story, um, which follows along with the structure of how Telltale Heart the plot goes. And what we did is we created kind of like a comic strip type plot diagram where we go and we review exposition, rising action, climax, all of these things, and we put into picture and sentence format of how this structure goes for this text, mm -hmm. because the structure is gonna be very similar for Telltale Heart, but mm -hmm. the vocabulary in Telltale Heart is going to be immensely different. So I, I, this, this has me thinking of um, uh, talking with Jennifer Mayer and Glenn Alexander, who are the GT coordinators in the district, and one of the phrases that I've I don't think it's stolen yet since I keep citing them, is this is, these are things that are good for all kids, but essential for some. Yes. The, the scaffolds that you're talking oh, about, yeah. right? Because I'm thinking about a student without any identified special needs. Like, oh, this kind of scaffold and support. But, it, but really thinking about that window of time Right. Is being the big shift in yes. what, what might happen. So we've, we've worked through this comic strip, then what's the next step? So um, Telltale Heart is actually one of my favorite things to dramatically read to my class. Okay. Because I like to act it out and I like to scare the crap out of my kids when he flips over the chair and starts scraping at the floorboards. So I like to act that out and yell. Um, so today I actually got to that point where I don't pass the story out. I kind of introduce a little bit about Edgar Allan Poe and his life and kind of talk about how for like the last couple years after his wife died he was kind of delusional but you know his best writing came from that time and what he did for the horror genre we talk about the language of the 1800s and all of this is just a discussion and my kids are eating it up and so i don't even pass out the story yet we turn off the lights I tell them that they are now police officers and we're sitting in an interrogation room. I set up a table and I set up my chair and I tell them that they are going to listen to my story and my confession to this murder and that's their job. And then I dramatically act it out and that's the end of class. So uh, that's, time it perfectly. I would, <laughs> I would, I would love to be in there. Um, a thing that kind of we're pull, like all dying. Pulling back the pulling back the the structure there, because um, setting that up right, providing that context for your students is one thing. 
but then thinking as a practitioner, you're also saying, I want to make sure they have some great examples of fluency. I want to make sure that they're ready to see some of these, these tougher vocabulary words when they come to them. I want to make sure that they hear the rising and falling action, uh -huh. right? So you're, you're giving them that experience uh, in a way that you know what you're doing, right. but that they don't necessarily, it doesn't feel like, ugh, I got to figure out this thing right, right now. Right, exactly. Um, so My guess would be that tomorrow, these students are going to see the text. Yes. Okay. So tomorrow we're going to we're going to see the text. And the way that I do it is the students actually do three read throughs of the text. Um, and the first two are not independent whatsoever. And so the first one, what we're going to do is we're going to go through and we're going to read it together. Um, and within each paragraph, we're going to closely read it. We're going to analyze it. We're going to be highlighting and, and marking up the text as much as possible. Um, and then they're going to do some evaluative questions pretty much based off of that. A prosecutor asked a question and then the accused has to answer it. So we're going kind of back to that whole theme. When you say we're going to read it together, or what does that look like? I mean, is it everybody just kind of out loud? Like it is the strange melee of voices or? Nope. It's uh, there are paragraphs that I take. that's real bad for kids. Right. There's <laughs> paragraphs that I take. Um, I usually start off reading the first paragraph, and then we really analyze that paragraph. Um, my kids in my room are so comfortable now making mistakes and failing when they read that um, they will then volunteer to take a paragraph. They check out the paragraph, and they'll be like, well, there's like 15 words. I don't know, but I want that paragraph. And that's just the comfort level that we have in the room. What's the mechanism for getting to a word that they don't know in your room? Um, we try to break it down into syllables. So how do they signal? I mean, that's the, like, all right, this is how we attack it. But, like, let's say that I get to Mercurial, and I don't know it as an eighth grader. Like, do I, like, help, Miss White? Or what's, what's my response? Um, if they're the ones that are reading aloud, then they'll just kind of they'll be like, yeah, I don't know that word. Okay. And we'll be like, okay, we're going to break this up and we're going to figure out how to decode this word and we talk about the meaning um, and we use the context clues while so we're So rather than separate vocabulary sheets, you're giving kids context and then saying, yep. we're, when we run into... So they're, they're having that experience of, I'm going to stumble, what do I do when I stumble right. within a passage? Exactly. Not, not, hey, these are hard things, let's all do just these hard things. Exactly. Okay. Um, so we go through that we go through that first reading together we mark up that text and then we go ahead and we work on some evaluative type stuff um, and then the second one that we do is more in groups and we're really looking at the difference between like mood and tone and how it changes throughout the story because the story does such a great job of you know changing the narrator's tone from the beginning to the middle to the end and we're working on that textual evidence of okay what is his mood in the beginning and what are some like quotes and lines that we can do and so we're reading for a purpose with mode and mood sorry mood and tone um, and then we kind of go from the reading over to the writing okay and so then we're working on just like descriptive writing and expository writing and they get to pick mood or tone and they're going to explain how the mood or the tone changes throughout the story so we're using it also sounds a little bit like we're using uh the the text as a mentor text yes. in some ways too mm -hmm. and are they playing with mood and tone or just describing mood and tone in those moments kind of both okay so, so it's it's understanding author's craft and then applying author's craft. Exactly. Okay. Um, so that's our second read. And then our third read is for 
we kind of do like a court thing at the end okay. in order to finalize Telltale Heart. And so our third read is we go over the definition of insanity. We go over kind of what it is to be guilty of murder. And so we look at all of those different things. Important concepts for those right? eighth graders. I know. Yeah, like... And so then we do another read where we have two separate highlighters. So they have a clean text now. It's blue is guilty. Pink is, they are like quotes for insane. And we're really looking at what part of the text shows that this narrator is guilty of murder and what part shows that this guilt this narrator is not guilty because he's insane mm -hmm. and so once we do that read kids there's pink there's blue there's all over the place we take it we put it into a t-chart um, and then kids have to pick a side and they're writing an essay it's a five paragraph essay uh, and they have to pretty much be the prosecutor in their paper mm -hmm. and they have to defend their side and it, what's interesting there is it's not, oh, pick a side and then let's prove it while we read. Right. It's what's the evidence for both. Yes. So, so you're still leaving it up to the student yeah. to say, when I'm looking at the evidence, I'm making some evaluative decisions yep. on, on that as yep. well. And we talk a lot about like, you know, if you're a lawyer and you're a prosecutor, you have to kind of think about what the defense is going to say as well. Mm -hmm. And so you have to know both sides in order to make your argument very clear. And so that's why we do it that way. Um, and so then we kind of do a gallery walk at the end of all of the papers. The kids read them aloud. And then we have like kind of a conclusion of this where we put on like a little court case. And so we have somebody defending. We have like that other person that is prosecuting. And the kids go at it and they argue about it. And we never have a clear, concise answer at the end of the unit about what they believe. <laughs> so... One of the pieces that sounds that I'm picking up as I'm listening to how you kind of structure all of that progression is that it isn't about the small pieces. It is each of those tasks is in the service of something mm -hmm. that's more complex. Right. And you need those, the, you, you create the need for those individual more specialized skills. Right. So, like, oh, I need to be fluent to be able to read this mm -hmm. out loud. So, Right, so I'm, I'm working on those pieces. Right. And I need to understand this vocabulary to then be able to cite the evidence. And I need to be able to cite evidence to be able to make my case. Right. Um, but it's none of it is like, well, if you're ever going to be able to do that, then we have to do these practice skills first. It's, we're going to do this big thing, mm -hmm. and those, you're going to have, you're going to need those skills. You're going right. to uncover the need for those skills as they're going through. Yeah. So do you do the exact same approach to every text that you put in front of students? Do you, is everything a court case? Every, no, not everything is okay. a court case because that would that would get boring. Right. So this is my only court case, but this is what I do. I, I take about four weeks and I pick a very complex text, and this is how I approach their IEP goals. This is how I approach all of the standards, and it just allows us to get them to be successful with things that they didn't think that they could do. And every time I introduce a text, they get better at inferencing. They get better at that explicit type thinking of what's right there. They get better at citing that evidence. And by the end of the year, I have kids who are no longer in the red on park who are five years below grade level. Who started five years below grade level. Yes. So I would imagine. Uh, yeah, they're moving on up. <laughs> they've, and, moved, they've moved a little right. closer to that grade and level. And so my iReady data last year, I think my average growth was about 46 points. That's fantastic. So it's all about the backward design. And my kids get very excited about what that final thing is. 
And so I've been talking about this court case that they're going to have for probably about a week, and they are excited. So they know it's coming. They know right? it's, it's coming, not... and they're already fighting. I'm going to be the judge. I'm going to be a juror. Like, I'm going to be the lawyer. And I'm like, you, you don't know what you're going to do until you make up your mind about what this story is and things like that. So this is, I think, a, a wonderful example of what's going on in your room. Right. So, and that's, you're doing some pullout work with students. Yes. So if I am in a general education classroom, what are some key questions that I might ask? Because I, my answer would be like, that's great that you can spend four weeks on one text. I have this heterogeneous group of kids. I can't do that because these kids would uh, they, like they don't need that kind of special attention. So I can't do that for everybody. What are some questions you might ask if you were in that role to help think about meeting the needs of, of students with identified special needs? Um, well, some of the time, sometimes I do go up to teachers and I, I ask, why can't you spend more time on a text? Mm -hmm. So you want to ask the question of, do you, are you giving kids enough variety? But at the same time, you don't want to say, uh, like you want to, you want to take enough time to get into depth, but you don't want to go so fast um, as to lose everybody. Right. And, you know, and I don't know if this is actually answering your question. I just, I was, I was leading a staff meeting yesterday talking about iReady data and some of the interventions that we can do with, with kids that are in gen ed, things like that. And one of the teachers said, well, how do I assign work to this student, but I'm not assigning work to this student mm -hmm. when this student is so low. And, and I made that point of kids need different things. And, you giving extra work to this kid and nothing to this kid might be fair. And what I explain to my students is the unicorn example. I draw a fence on my board. On one side of the fence, there's a poorly drawn unicorn. And then there's a really tall kid, a medium kid, and a short kid. Everyone wants to see the unicorn. Right now, the tall kid can see it. What you guys are talking about, giving every kid the same thing, is I'm going to give all three kids a box to stand on. Okay, so the super tall kid's even taller. The medium kid can now see. My short kid on that one box still can't see over the fence. He's never going to see that unicorn. You have to take that box from that tall kid, and you have to give it to the short kid. So he gets nothing right now. He gets one box, and this third kid gets two boxes. Now everybody can see that unicorn. So in gen ed, if you are going to really elaborately go into a, a complex text with your kids and you want to make it drawn out a little bit more, why can't you have a couple different end pieces? Challenge your kids in different ways. Give so, them choice. So I love the unicorn. And I also like that you were self-critical right there. And it's a poorly drawn unicorn. Like It is like, so poorly drawn. <laughs> well, at least you have a growth goal. Um, <laughs> So I, and, and this leads to like, I'm going to have to now do an episode on, on universal design for learning to talk about, let's just tear down the dang fence. Um, so, right. right. So that the activities are structured in the right way, but we are uh, out of time. Thank you so much for this. You're welcome. If somebody wants to get a hold of you, they have questions of like, oh, I'd like to try that. What's the best way to get a hold of you? They can just email me. Okay. And how would they do that? What? So white underscore Amanda at svbsd.org. Thank you very much, Ms. White. You are welcome. Special thanks to Amanda White for sitting down to have this conversation with us. If you'd like to learn more about St. Vrain Valley Schools Language Arts, find us on Twitter at SVBSDLA or read the blog, blogs.svbsd.org slash language arts. Thanks for listening. Bye.